This is Bentley Manning. And this is Kellen Day. This is an experiment to see what happens when church gets canceled. And we find new ways to connect. This is... This is... This is... Empty Pews. Hey, this is Kellen coming to you from Sunny Highlands. And this is Bentley. It's sunny and cold, but beautiful outside. Um, hope y'all are doing well. Bentley and I have spent sort of an enormous time on Zoom over the last few days. Um, we had a virtual convention um over the weekend so we hung out with all our friends from around the diocese and the bishop um on the computer screen and while i think it was like they did a great job and it you know was i guess a decent time it's just been a lot of zoom in our lives i'm kind of tired of zoom do your eyes hurt at all I think I mostly just feel like I'm always half listening when I'm on Zoom, which is not a great feeling because the computer screen is just not quite as attention grabbing as like a human body. Yeah, I uh, confession. I'm 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 not listening as well as I think I can when I'm with folks in the flesh. It's it's really really hard to have. Um, conversations over zoom and of course and maybe this is more about like big long zoom meetings there's the distraction of having the email right there and kind of the world right in front of you the online world right in front of you while you're trying to talk to someone yeah the like 30 45 minute zoom like calls are fine i don't find that i have a hard time with that but if you're asking me to be on zoom for like any longer than an hour or an hour and a half it's like, see you later, Kellen. I'm not going to be able to show up for that long on a computer screen. So anyone who's out there who's like teaching virtually or, you know, doing this work on Zoom all the time, I give you a huge amount of credit. And I'm also sorry. I hope that you're finding other ways to regain energy. But enough complaining about Zoom. Um, We're thinking about the future of Zoom. (laughs) Um, We had convention and we had this awesome speaker, Catherine Meeks, Dr. Catherine Meeks, who is the director of the Absalom Jones Center in Atlanta, but it's kind of the Episcopal Church's Center for Racial Healing. Um, And she was with the whole diocese for around two hours on Saturday morning, and she shared with us her, you know, ongoing work and asked us all to consider um, what our dreams and visions for our own communities and for this nation around racial healing were. Um, so I don't know, Bentley, if you want to share your thoughts about that. Sure, Kellen. I think when reflecting on dreams and visions uh, for racial healing in our country, uh, two things come to mind. One is a willingness for us to speak honestly with one another, 
that seems to be something that we're missing. Uh, and so it's a hope of mine that we would figure out how to just be honest, however uncomfortable it might make us. And the other, which I think I'm really thinking about, uh, is how do we learn how to trust the witness of other people? So how do we learn uh, to not just tell the truth as we see it or speak honestly, but actually listen to someone else when they are claiming to do that very thing. And I think we so often are eager to, to say what we want to say and to be understood, but, but um, a dream of mine is that we would listen more deeply, uh, more seriously uh, to the voice uh, the voices of our uh, black brothers and sisters about their experience in this country. And I, I don't know that we do a great job at that. I don't know that I do a great job at that. So for like instance, when Dr. Meeks was talking about her own vision, her own dream for herself and for this world, she she said, you know, I dream that my sons, my two black sons can go outside and drive and live in the world without fear of being killed. Your dream is that we might just listen and take that seriously, take that concern, that fear to heart. Yeah, I don't, I I shared this with you the other day, Kellen. I don't know if this is worth sharing on the podcast, but it's on my mind. Um, You all know, because he's, he's, preached with us and he's uh, offered some reflections with us in the past, but a friend of mine, Joseph Wallace Williams, a priest from St. Louis, black man, uh, was coming to incarnation and he just mentioned to me um, that he was worried about driving up the mountains. I hope he's listening right now. He might not be. I don't know if he's listening, but I don't want to believe him. And I don't want to believe him because a, a number of reasons why I don't want to believe him. I, I don't want to believe that he actually lives in that world where he's scared to simply drive up a mountain. I don't want to believe that there are people in this world that would do someone harm just because of the color of their skin. And I don't want to believe that we have that much work ahead of us. Um, so, you know, sometimes and this is a, just me being completely honest, I when I hear something like that, I, I try to think like, really? You know, I, is that is that really how you feel? And I think sometimes I just need to like be quiet and just say, you know, why, he's not making it up, Bentley. Like that's how he feels. And of course, it's hard to, for me uh, to come to grips with that because I've never felt that in my life. I don't, I yeah. don't know what that feeling is. So it makes it more difficult for me to understand that because it's not been my experience. Uh, Kellen, for you, what, what, uh, in terms of dream and, and, and vision for racial healing in our country, what, what comes to your mind? I guess one very specific vision for our landscape would be that no black person would ever have to look at a confederate flag again and that no white person would ever want to tout that symbol in public spaces or in private ones um, from here on forth but 
that also is going to take a lot of work to talk about what that flag has come to mean and why that may be an incredibly hurtful sign for our brothers and sisters of color. One of the things that we often do on our podcast is invite you all, our listeners, to think about the same questions that we're considering. So I would invite you in the days and weeks ahead uh, to consider this question for yourselves. What is your dream and your hope for racial healing in our country? And what are you ready and willing to do to make that dream a reality? Everybody said the young folks ain't living right. And everybody said we're walking hand in hand with the devil. But I believe, oh, I truly do believe that's gonna be. This Sunday is the last Sunday before Advent, and it's Christ the King Sunday. And the Gospel reading comes from the 25th chapter of Matthew. And in that reading, we see a picture of the Son of Man coming in glory with all the angels with him sitting on his throne. And while on the throne, uh, the Son of Man uh, divides uh, people into sheep and goats, one on his right hand, one on his left hand. And the folks, the righteous who are on his right hand, are a bit perplexed on how they got there. Um, and, and Christ says to them, um, When I was hungry, uh, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When, when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they ask, well, when did we do this? And the response is that whenever you've done it to the least of these, uh, you did it to me. So that's our gospel reading uh, for Sunday. And I'm curious, Kellen, you're preaching, maybe what some of your thoughts are about uh, this week's readings. Yeah, before I do that, Bentley, do you want to give a little history on Christ the King Sunday, though? So our listeners know why, you know, we began celebrating the last Sunday after Pentecost as Christ the King. Sure. In the rise of, uh, you know, dictatorships throughout the world, you think of Mussolini, Hitler, uh, Mao, etc., the, the church decided, the Roman Catholic Church to be clear, uh, that it was important to make certain uh, that people knew that despite the rise of these uh, leaders, um, these kind of violent regimes, that in the end, uh, it is Christ and Christ alone who is the king of uh, the world and of the universe. And so that was a very intentional choice by the Roman Catholic Church. And I think it's an important, I mean, this is part of the reason I, um, I love this feast day is it's a, it's a helpful reminder, at least to me, uh, and I, I trust to the rest of the church that our allegiance uh, our allegiances lie with with God and with Christ alone, um, and that's that's who we serve. 
Um, so that's that's a little bit of the history of Christ the King Sunday, but it's a helpful one to maybe hold in the back of your heart and mind in the week ahead. Thanks. So obviously this is a really iconic passage, right? It's quoted and re-quoted, and um, you hear it a lot. I think, as we should hear it a lot, but... I forgot that it comes within this context of the sheep and goats parable. I forgot that it comes sort of nestled within this image of the glorious throne, which is sort of a trope in ancient Jewish writings, right? Images of God on the throne, sort of a genre of literature. Anyway, I just, I didn't recall that this notion that, you know, Christ is found in the least of these is, you know, juxtaposed with this image of him reigning on the throne. And so I'm really drawn to that, maybe not contrast, right, but that paradox of the one being this glorified, beautiful, reigning and splendor God, <laughs> who then we find in the people who are hungry and naked and struggling. And I haven't really fully like contemplated that paradox for my sermon this Sunday, but that's where I'm landing on this passage, just those really sort of powerful images, both of those powerful images. Also, just one thing that I have never noticed about this reading, or maybe it just popped out to me this time for some reason, is that when Jesus says, truly, I tell you just as you did it, to one of the least of these, you did it to me. But there's a phrase in the middle of that. He actually says, as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And um, I I don't think I've ever heard that full phrase, who are members of my family. We often just skip over that part of the quotation. Um... But I think it cements even further Jesus's alignment with the poor and the oppressed and the stranger. He is deliberately, you know, saying these are these are my family members. Kellen, I've shared this with you recently from a book that I've been reading. But I think, at least for me, what this calls to mind is that it's very, very easy for us uh, to love in the abstract. Uh, But this gospel reading suggests that Christ is all around us uh, and is made present in real human lives and in places that we might not expect. Uh, So in in some ways, uh, the the passage is inviting me to consider uh, whether or not I truly believe that Christ is king. And if so, how would I care Uh, for him and for others in very uh, specific, particular ways, uh, which are manifest all around me all of the time. 
Again, I think it's easy to love in the abstract to say that we love God. Uh, But until that actually shows up in real relationships with real people, uh, we might be living a bit of a lie. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song, as you are Here's a prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Empty Pews. Uh, glad to have you with us for this 31st episode. You're better at counting than I am, Kevin. Oh, no, I think it's 32nd. I can't remember anymore. I'm losing track. Anyway, glad you're here. Um, we have a couple of fun things coming up for Advent, which begins on November 29, the first Sunday of Advent, and extends four weeks leading up to the great feast of Christmas. And um, we're going to start an evening Sunday night service. I think lots of candlelight and quiet um, at 5 p.m.-ish on Sundays. And then we're going to have a class also on Wednesday nights from 5.15 to 6.15 on the virtues of Advent. So we'd love to have you join us. Um, You'll see some signups coming into your email um, to sign up for those opportunities. That is if we're still doing in-person gatherings at that point, depending on COVID cases. And know that as we end our year and begin a new one at the beginning of Advent, you all, as always, remain in our prayers and that we love you. We miss you. God's peace.